Good morning, Mission View Church. Wasn't it good to just worship God in song? Wasn't it good? Yes, okay. I just want to make sure everyone's awake and alert and we're ready to get into God's Word. We're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 5 today, so let's uh, turn there and we'll get to that in a moment. We've been covering family life, and as we've been talking about the family life, we've kind of looked at the microcosm of what the church is, and that is the intimate family, the parent-child relationship. It's the husband-wife relationship. Well, now we're going to expand out a little bit, and now we're going to look at the, the leader-congregation relationship. And you're going to see a parallel. As the father gives direction and loves his wife, so the leaders will love the church. And as the church loves, uh, or just as the wife loves her husband and respects her husband and submits to her husband, so the church body should respect and honor the leaders that are within the church. And so the next, this, next, this week and next week, we're going to be talking about the leader-congregation relationship and the beauty in that relationship. So we're going to look at that. But let me start off with an obstacle. I want to ask a question, and I want to see by a show of hands how many of this applies to. How many of you have had a bad experience somewhere along the line with church leadership? Let's just... Uh, Let's see your hands. How many of you might, uh, might be considering Mission View kind of the second chance to doing church because you've had a bad experience with leadership? Maybe a few, few people, anybody. Okay. This tells us by the show of hands the obstacle that the church has before it. It has a credibility problem. Because there have been so many leaders along the way that have gone out and said one thing from the pulpit and done another thing in private conduct. And that makes it very, very difficult in terms of trust. In some ways, I feel that church leadership is almost looked at suspiciously immediately when someone comes to a church. It takes a while for there to be a provenness there. And I understand that. I understand that because of so many negative things that have happened in the church. Recently, I received an email from a church that had to remove their pastor. The pastor was a 30-year veteran, and this is what was stated in the email. He, the pastor, has been involved in extensive, inappropriate sexual activity including same-sex issues that extended throughout his ministry career. His behavior goes beyond an affair and appears to represent a misuse of his spiritual authority and position to intentionally and systematically draw others into similar behavior. He has been deceptive and manipulative. So here is a case in point. So I ask you, first of all, how does a wife and child deal with a father that's gone rogue? How does a congregation deal with that kind of behavior in leadership? Some in the congregation will become disillusioned with the church. How about the community? A community in which the church has worked in and the reputation that they have in that community, what does it do for that? 
See, the body of Christ, the community, the family is hurt when things like this happen. But here's the reality. It's not just with church leaders. Any person has the ability to walk away, even somebody that confesses Jesus Christ as their Savior has the ability to sin and has the ability to walk away from the truth and the principles of this word. And if, the, if we do that, it will take us to similar places. Let us not be so arrogant to think that it can never happen to us because it can, because we are prone to wonder. Sin, my friends, will take us further than we want to go. Sin will always cost us more than we want to pay. And sin will keep us longer than we want to stay. My friends, this is why we need biblical instructions. And we need to be obedient to what God's word has to say to us in this world today. The body of Christ needs this. In 1 Peter 5, the passage we're going to look at, he's going to give instructions on what a leader should be. What's interesting is that at the end of chapter 4, Peter says this. He says, it is time for judgment to begin with the family of God. Why does Peter say that? He says it because there has to be a clean house. There has to be purity within the church. There has to be obedience by believers. And that's what he is calling. He's saying God's going to hold us accountable to living the way that we should in the body of Christ as a believer. And so today we're going to get practical instruction on that. A couple weeks ago, I had Pastor Butch Persley come and share the word. He kind of kicked off our Family Life series. And some of you may not know Pastor Butch, but I mentioned in introducing him that he is a mentor of mine. Now, here's the reason he's a mentor. First of all, he has a long track record of truly having a track record of faith and fidelity. And I'm so grateful for his example. But also, I was under him for 18 years as a staff member, and I know how ridiculous he was in keeping a pure standard with the staff. I mean, there were things, he cut windows in the doors to make sure that there's always somebody able to view in. You keep a picture of your wife and kids on your desk. You are to never meet with another female alone. And there's a, a whole list of things of which I grew to appreciate because of the standard of purity that he has had. That is the same standard that I've adopted over the years, and I've also adopted a prayer. And my prayer has been, God, may I never bring dishonor to your name or to the body of Christ. I pray that I would go across the finish line in life coming to you, having been pure, having loved only one woman in my life. I pray, God, that I would never discredit you. Give me the strength. That's been my prayer. My friends, we need to have faithfulness. I want to be faithful. I want to be faithful to you. I want to be faithful to my wife, to my daughter, to my kids, to my grandkids. Is that your desire? Do you want to leave a legacy of faithfulness? 
when we do go before God, this is the dream that each and every one of us would go before him when we cross into heaven and he would say, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with little, but now you will be faithful with much. What an awesome thing. I'm thankful at Mission View that God has given us some godly leaders. You're going to see our elders today in a little bit, but we also have some incredible deacons. The elders have the spiritual care, and the deacons have the physical care to make sure that the body's needs are being met. But we're going to look at 1 Peter 5, and what we're going to see is a description of what the leaders are to be. And so it's a reminder to me and to the rest of the elders, this is what we are to do, and you can hold us accountable to these things. But in the second part of the message, we're going to look at uh, what the upcoming leader should be. That's everybody else. Uh, and you may say, well, I'm not going to be a leader in the church. Well, you might be a leader in your home. You might be a leader as a doctor or a nurse or a construction worker or whatever your occupation is. And so we want to be faithful and we want to grow in our leadership and our influence. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 5, and there's really, our outline's pretty simple. The leader God wants, the elder that God wants us to be, it's addressing the elders, but then we're going to look at the upcoming leader, and we're going to see three principles on each on what we are to be. So we start in 1 Peter chapter 5, and we're going to learn, first of all, in verse 1, that the leader, the elder, is to have a personal experience with Christ. This is what he says in verse 1. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Now, as Peter is writing this, Peter is addressing the elders, the leaders within the church, and he is addressing himself as a, as a fellow elder. Now, something that might be helpful for you to understand is that he's been addressing a people that have been extremely persecuted. These are a people that have lost their belongings. Some of have lost their lives because of persecution. And so what I believe these people are doing when they hear these things, they're taking notes, they're wanting to make sure that they're doing exactly as Peter is prescribing for them to do. The reason for it is because their life is on the line. Their life depends on it. They're in a sense living a fourth quarter life. Do you know what a fourth quarter life is? In sports, you just want, well, with the exception of the last Boston Cavs game, uh, the last four, usually in the fourth quarter, you are striving to win. You are striving to be victorious. You are striving to get ahead of the game. Now, if you're ahead by 45 points, then it's not as hard. But that's what we want to do in life. Now, when people are close to death, they pay attention. And these were a people that were close to death, so they pay attention. Are we living with a fourth quarter mentality? I hope so. Now notice that Peter starts by addressing the elders of this persecuted church. Next week, Josh Chandler is going to be presenting the message. And he is one of our elders, and he will give you a little bit more knowledge about the word elders and the different words that are going to be used. So listen up next week. But for right now, just know that they were spiritual leaders over the church. And so 
Peter is addressing them, and he says, I am a fellow elder, and as a fellow elder, he sets an example, and he says this. He says, as a fellow elder, I am a witness of the suffering of Christ and a witness as well of the partaking of the glory uh, that is going to be revealed. So what Peter's doing is saying, I'm a witness of something. Now the word for witness is actually the English transliteration of the Greek word. It's martyr. He says, I am a martyr. Now Peter wasn't a martyr at this point. He will be in the future. But we think of a martyr as somebody who gives up their life for Christ. But the true meaning of that word, and that is true, but the true essence of that word is somebody that gives witness of what they've seen and what they have heard. And Peter is basically saying, I'm going to tell you about my own relationship, my own experience with Christ. And he tells of how he saw him suffer. I believe when he talks about the glory of Christ, he's talking about he, uh, a time when he actually got to see a glimpse of the glory of Christ that's a reflection of the future. Do you remember when Jesus took James, Peter, and John up a mountain and there was a, a cloud that enveloped it? They called it the Mount of Transfiguration. And it was there that all of a sudden he, they heard the voice of God and they heard God say, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. Now, if someday you were at work, driving to work, going down, the, and all of a sudden there was this like cloud or haze, and all of a sudden you heard through your louds or your speakers in your car, Jesus is my son. I am well pleased in him. Listen to him. I think it would get your attention. It got Peter's attention, and he got to see a glimpse of the glory of Christ at that moment. See, the important thing I want to underscore here is that Peter is saying that he has an experience with Christ. He has a growing relationship with Christ. Underscore that point. This relationship with Christ was, is foundational to Peter, but it's also foundational to us as leaders. The moment that we allow ourselves to wander away from Christ is the moment that we become vulnerable. Any of us, especially leaders. And so we have to be mindful of this. And so if you would allow, because Peter talks about his personal experience with Christ, I would like to share a little bit about my personal experience with Christ and my wife's over the last nine months or so. But I'm going to allow my wife to be the voice person because she's better looking and she sounds a lot better than me. As a believer, our um, personal walk with God is meant to be interwoven in our day-to-day -day life. And Steve's asked if I would just share a few ways that that's real to us. And I'm going to try to be honest and real in what that looks like and even maybe share a challenge that presents itself in each of these areas. I think, first of all, knowing and choosing to daily rest in the fact that God is all-knowing, all-powerful, and always present brings us inward joy that rises above the circumstances that we're in. 
you know, I think we all can say that the inability to control a situation can present itself in a lot of different ways. And we can all relate to that. For Steve and I, a personal diagnosis of advanced cancer um, and a son who's questioning his faith in God and living in bondage, we are personally challenged daily to give our emotions, our fears, our desires, our goals over to God um, and trust him in his sovereign love, which outweighs our own. Isn't it amazing and awesome that God loves our children more than we do? He loves our spouse more than we do, and he's in control. And that is honestly where our joy comes from. If I'm honest and real, happiness right now is a struggle. But our joy is real because we know and choose to put our faith and our trust in Jesus Christ, who knows all, who has our best interest in mind, and loves us unconditionally. I think another way that we're experiencing this is just God's grace and peace helps us stand in the midst of trials and uncertainty as we do two things. We draw from God's word and claim his promises. And in prayer, we give all our requests and our emotions and our thoughts and our concerns to him. This is a day-to-day -day thing that I'm reminded of. You know, accountability is God's form of protection and discipline in our life. But vengeance only belongs to God. And if I'm going to be real and honest with you, I am angry. I am angry at a son-in-law who deliberately walks in disobedience continually and has no heart of repentance. I think the challenge for us is that we see him every week. And you want to know how that plays out? It plays out in guarding our words and asking God to guard our hearts. And that's not always easy. The last way would be that we are reminded that God is very near and he cares for every one of our needs and he hears our cries, he sees our tears, and he's very aware of our heavy heart. How do I know this? Because of you guys. Your prayers, your notes of encouragement, your texts, your emojis, your meals, lawn care, and just a phone call that says, hey, what are you guys doing tonight? Are you free? Why don't you just hang out? That is God's way of saying, you know what? I hear you and I want you to know that I am real and I'm going to use God's people to be obedient and to be the hands and feet of me. That's where we're at. But what do we struggle with in all honesty? We struggle with humility. We struggle with not feeling guilty because it's you serving us and not us serving you. But it's God's way of saying, you know what? It's okay to rest. It's okay to rest and be still in me. You know, God is good. He is good all the time. And his mercies are new every morning. Told you. As a leader, we're to have a personal experience with Christ. 
The second thing that a leader is to be is in verse 2 and 3. And at this point, I'm going to ask the elders to come up and sit on the bench, uh, uh, stools up here. Um, is that, that we are to be nurturing shepherds. This is what it says in verse 2. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but willing, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, not domineering, uh, uh, not shameful gain, but eager, not domineering over those in charge, but being examples to the flock. Now, in these two verses, we're given three directives that we as elders are to do. And so I'm going to describe the, uh, the directive and that I have a question for each elder that they'll share briefly. Uh, the first directive is that elders are to feed and care for the flock. We get that by the term shepherd because that's what shepherds do. They feed and they care. That's what that's what the shepherds of that time did. Now, I'm sure we don't have many sheep herders here in the congregation, but I want you to know, in this time, it was a vivid illustration. And to be honest, it's not exactly the most complimentary uh, illustration to, the, to, to us as a church, because sheep were stubborn. Sheep went uh, in flocks, uh, sometimes off over a cliff. Sometimes they were just acting very, very stupid. And as a result, you know, they needed a shepherd to guide them. Now, I said it's not kind to us because that relates to us. But we'll just assume that God knows exactly what he's talking about and that that's exactly how we are at times. But our job as a church, as elders, is to feed the, church, feed the word of God and we are to care for the church. Now we see how we feed the word of God every Sunday and in community groups. But Randy, I'd like for you to answer the first question. How do you as an elder want to make sure that care is taking place in this body? Steve, I think the, uh, the most important thing we can do for the body is first off to preach the word. I think that really gives us the, the, the marching orders to know how to live and how to care for each other. God's Word says in Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear ye one another's burdens. Bear the burdens of those that are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And, you know, I think what we have a responsibility as elders to do is to create an environment here where we can bear one another's burdens. But you can't bear one another's burdens unless you know each other. And, and I think that that's a call for all of us is that, first off, we create community groups for people to build uh, a more personal uh, environment to engage each other. That's critical. Uh, and, you know, we live in a Facebook generation where we think if we've got, you know, 12, 1,200 friends that we've got friends. Uh, you know what friends are, are those people who will sit down with you in those moments of crisis and who will look you in the eyes and will pray with you and encourage you and care for you. Um, our culture isn't wired that way today. And so we know as elders that we have to, we have to be very proactive in adapting to the way our culture changes. And we believe community groups are incredible ways for you to get to know people. And it doesn't happen overnight. And that's the one thing is that when we build community and care for one another, there's work that goes into that. Some of the work that we are involved in is being transparent, sharing our hearts, sharing the ugly side of life. Because I think you know, what we try to do on Sunday mornings is things get cleaned up and you don't really know the burdens that everyone else is, is bearing. So I, I would say most important thing we can do mm. to measure and to identify whether we're being effective at Mission View in caring for the body is going to be, do we create um, an environment through community groups that helps us 
to know of needs. The other thing would be, and this will be my last comment, is that, and when you have a need, raise your hand. Because I think our culture also says things like, hey, you show weakness when you raise your hand, when you say I've got a, a challenge or a problem. Um, in the body of Christ, when you raise your hand, you're basically letting people love you and care for you. And we think that's extremely important as elders. So, Steve, Thanks, Randy. I appreciate that. The second directive that we're given in the passage is that we are to give oversight to the flock. Now, the word oversight actually means to be a guardian. So you guys have heard of like guardian angels. Well, I want to introduce you to our angels. Okay, you remember Charlie's angels? Okay, these are Steve's angels. Okay, so <laughs> that, that's a little weird. Okay. <laughs> But the, the angels, in a sense, the guardians, are to be people that keep watch over. Now notice that P Peter gives the motive for the guardian. He says, an elder should do this because he wants to. Not under compulsion, not because he has to, but because this is something that God has placed on his heart. The second thing is that he should be eager to do so without any thoughts of financial gain or abusing finances. And it's very, very important that we would never abuse finances in this ministry. Now these guys are not paid. I am paid and I thank you because you give and that pays uh, my income for me to be able to devote myself full time. But these guys do it and I do it because I want to but these guys do it because they are volunteer volunteers and wanting to help build God's kingdom. So Todd, why is it that you are willing to be a guardian, to be an angel, to be an elder? Um, it's my act of service. You know, God has given us each gifts, and it's our worship act to God is to be able to serve Him. Uh, he's seen fit to give me the gifts of administration, and I believe you know, some element of wisdom. Um, and when you're serving in those areas, that's your joy. Uh, I previously served in an area of ministry because there was a need, but I hated it. Uh, I hated doing that every week, and, and wisely somebody advised me, you know, that's probably not your gift and you really shouldn't serve there. Uh, so, uh, you know, th that's really the primary reason. Um, it's a privilege to serve this congregation, and it's also humbling uh, to do that. I oftentimes just look over the congregation and realize the responsibility that God's given us, and it is, it is humbling, but uh, would also add, I think that's just the... Uh, a spirit of the whole elder board here. Nobody's in this for the power. Nobody's in this for the glory. There's not that much. Uh, but it's because, you know, we can serve and it's just an act of humility as well. Thanks, Todd. And the last directive that is given is that the elders are to be examples to the flock. Now, in this directive, we're, we're told that we're not to be domineering. In other words, we're not to abuse our position of leadership. Rather, what we should do is be examples. Now, because he uses it in that way, it's in contrast to a prideful way, and it's showing a way of humility and submission in servant leadership. And so that's really what he's trying to do, is paint a picture of servant leadership. So, Josh... I'm going to ask you, what does it mean for you to be a servant leader to this body? Well, I, I guess I, I want to start with a, a story uh, as an illustration. And as, as a young Christian um, father, I had two young daughters. Um, having not had the privilege of growing up in a Christian home, I, I had no idea what that meant. I didn't know what that looked like. I didn't know what my job was. 
Um, and I can just remember in, in the church that, that we were in at the time, again, just with my two oldest, who were tiny at the time, I, we constantly and consistently sat in church behind uh, a family that had two older teenage daughters. And I always looked at that and thought, and as I got to know the gentleman and, and, and spoke with him and, and just began asking questions like, well, what do you do about this? And, and what does God want me to do with this? Um, I mean, my first, my first words as a father was, what do I do with a girl? Um, and, and so I needed that, that, that example. Um, and, and so really, I, I, think, I think that's what, what I think of every day as, as being a servant leader. You just, you wanna be an example. And, and I think as you, and, and obviously Lee, thank you, for just sharing, you, you want to do that in a real way because unfortunately in the church that I was in at the time, you know, the leaders were the guys up front that stood really stiff with the nice pressed white shirts and you felt like their job was to look perfect and to, 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 to look like the Christian life was supposed to be this perfect stern thing. Um, and in reality, it's, it's not. It's, it's, we have challenges, we have trials. Um, and, and I think seeing real people, leaders, your pastor being real about their experiences and what they're going through, um, I think is a huge encouragement. And then for us to be able to share that life with, with everybody else, uh, to go through those experiences in life. I mean, I, I can tell you the firsthand as a perfect example, um, Joey and I right now are having an extreme amount of joy um, seeing the Brackuses, for example, go through um, their first foster placement. Um, that's been awesome for us. Um, they're doing all the work, but we're enjoying it just as much as they are. So being an example, being real, um, and just being out with, with the congregation. Thanks, guys. You can go now. Thank you. <clears throat> the, last, uh, the last way in which elders are to serve is that we are to serve an audience of one. Take a look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. This verse simply tells us that we as elders are accountable to the chief elder. And who is the chief elder? Jesus Christ. And he is the one who will return someday and he will give rewards. And yes, it's nice the thought of having rewards, but the reality is we serve at the pleasure of our king. He is the audience of one. He is the one that we want to please in this life. And so I want to pause right now before we go into the application of upcoming leaders. I would like for, during this song, for you to pray for your leaders. You've seen them before you. Would you lift us up? Because we want to be leaders that genuinely, genuinely love the church. Praise the mountains I'm 
fixed upon it, mount of thy redeeming love. And here I raise my Ebenezer, hither by. to arrive at home. Jesus saw me when a stranger wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed his precious blood. To grace, how great a debtor daily I'm constrained to be. Let thy goodness, like a fetter, bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. Here's my heart, oh, take and seal it, seal it for thy courts above. We continue on in verse 5 and through 7. And we see now the characteristics of an upcoming leader. So that's all of us. This is what should apply to every one of us. And that is, number one, we're humble. That's what we should be. Take a look at verse 5. Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe, yourself with all, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he might exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Here Peter is admonishing those that are younger to submit to the elders. Now, that doesn't mean those of you that are older than the elders don't have to submit. He's just not addressing them because they probably already understand how the order needs to be within the church. But notice what he says there right after this. He says, clothe yourself. Clothe yourself with humility towards one another. There's actually a play on words because the word clothe means to tie on an apron or a towel. So the picture that he is going back to, Peter is reminiscing immediately with that word back to the time in John 13 when Jesus went to all of them and took the towel and wrapped it around his waist and took a water basin and went to each of them. Remember what Peter's response? No, 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 Lord. You're not going to give me a foot washing. You're not going to do that. No, Peter, if I don't, you have nothing to do with me. Okay, Lord, give me a bath. Give me a bath, Lord. That's what I want you to do. Peter, this was etched in his mind of this kind of servant leadership. 
And notice this is in contrast to a statement that's from another scripture passage. It says, God is opposed to the proud but gives grace to the humble. You see, there's two routes that we can go in life. That of pride and that of humility. Corey mentioned that in in kind of the intro to uh, the whole communion. Pride or arrogance or humility. See, they take us to very different places. Humility will want to serve and be like Christ. They will not want to draw attention to themselves. Humility is willing to come to church and say, I want this place. I need this place. I need it on a regular basis. No one has to twist my arm to come because I'm coming to the house of God. I'm coming to the place of learning. Humility is willing to take a rebuke from somebody that's older and wiser. The reason I do that is because I know that I need that instruction. Humility is going to honor the older generation. Because they have paved the way for us. And we have a deep gratitude for that person. For those, for that generation. But pride takes a different route. It's not as much interested in serving others as it is looking at its own, that person's own personal interests. We find ways to look for our needs to be met. That person doesn't deal well with authority because someone's always out to get them. Someone's always got an angle. And so they don't deal with authority too well. They don't really have time to serve others. They can take or leave coming to church because it's all about their schedule. It's about whether I can fit it in because I got so many things to do like mow my lawn or do business or make money. Pride is going to take us in very different ways. Correction, you're not going to correct me. You're not going to tell me what to do. And for older people, for those that are pride, pride-filled, they just drive too slow. There's a different attitude here. And Peter is addressing the attitude. Pride or humility, which are we? And so Peter goes on and he says, humble yourself, humble yourself. Therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that's what you're doing. You're seeing yourself under what God wants of you. And at the proper time, he will exalt you. You want to know how you rise up in leadership in business? You want to know how you rise up in leadership in the community? You want to know how you rise up in leadership within the church? It's through humility. Humility, humble A person who is humbly growing in their relationship with Christ. A person who is a humble servant leader. A person who is a student of the word of God. A person who is a faithful mother, a faithful father, a faithful son, a faithful daughter. A person who is a faithful attender. A person who is a faithful giver. A person who is a faithful worshiper. This is the pathway to leadership in life and in ministry. Peter also says that in your humility that we're to cast all of our cares upon the Lord. And he uses a word, anxiety. And the word anxiety means the things that are pulling you apart. And the reality is in this life of ours, we're always going to have situations or circumstances that are going to pull us apart. But did you realize that you can handle it in a humble way or a prideful way? 
See, the pride-filled way goes back to our human tendency. What is it when we are worried or anxious about something? We start to take the matters on to ourselves. We worry about it. We vent. We worry some more. Then we go and we try to do something in control the situation. And sometimes it ends up doing, we do stupid things. And in the end, we say, man, that didn't work out too well. That's how we handle it in pride. I know I'm, an, I'm a professional. I've done it many times. But when we are humble, we cast our anxieties upon Christ. And he says he cares for us. How does Jesus care for us? It says in Isaiah 41 that he gives us courage and strength. Do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. How does God do it? James 1.5, he gives us wisdom when we're dependent on him. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask of God who gives all, generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to him. He also gives us guidance so that our paths are straight, according to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. And do not lean on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him. And he will make your pathway straight. That's what he wants to do when we're humble. Here's the second thing that we are to be in our passage. We're to be watchful. Look at what it says. Be sober-minded. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in the faith, knowing that the same kind of sufferings are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. So he's saying be watchful. And when he uses the analogy of the devil being like a roaring lion, I think for these people, the persecuted people of this day, they understood, at least their minds may have gone to what was happening in their society. See, there was a, an emperor that was rising up, Nero, and he was making it an art form of killing Christians. And so he would take hungry lions in the Colosseum and throw Christians into the Colosseum. And these roaring lions would tear Christians apart piece by piece. He invented ways. And what Peter is saying, beyond anything that you can think of, of a, on a human level, our enemy, the devil, is much greater. He is like the roaring lion. He is the one who wants to tear you apart. My friends, I don't know if we have enough respect for the enemy. The enemy is powerful, is powerful. It's interesting, get this. In the book of Jude, we are told of a battle that takes place between the archangel Michael. He is the warrior angel. There is no better angel than Michael. He was an angel that could, could do uh, incredible battles, and we, you could do a study on him. But what's interesting in the, in the book of Jude, we're told that Michael uh, did not dare bring a slanderous accusation against the devil, but he said, the Lord rebuke you. He had a respect for the enemy's power. So how do we deal with the enemy? How do we deal with the attacks every day? Ephesians chapter 6 tells us to put on, to be strong in the Lord and his mighty power and put on the full armor of God 
so that you can take your stand against him. You'll have to study Ephesians 6 to understand the full armor of God. But here's what I want you to see. We got to draw close to God. Peter says, stand firm. See, the enemy is a destroyer. He is an accuser. He has a whole demonic army to attack us. Now, that might sound, sound overwhelming, but what God is saying is that God is greater than that enemy. As strong as the enemy is, we have a God who is stronger. Do you remember when you were in elementary school and there was that bully on the playground? Now, what was the answer to the bully that was on the playground who wanted to harass you and take your lunch money? You found somebody stronger than the bully to stand behind. That's what you did. We have someone stronger than the bully, and that is Jesus Christ. So my question is this. If you're far away from him, what does that mean for you? See, this idea of prone to wonder, the fact is there may be some here that have wandered far away from God. Please understand that you are vulnerable. You need to draw close to God, as James says, and he will draw close to you. Here's the last thing that he encourages us with. He says we are to be hopeful. We are to be humble. We are to be watchful. We are to be hopeful. It's verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ. Stop there. He has called you to his eternal glory. Do you know what this means? This means that there is hope for a life that is beyond this life. That there is an eternal glory that he wants us to participate in. Jesus called it the abundant life that started at the moment of salvation. But it goes to a place called eternal glory where you will be with him forever and ever. This life is not it. If you die at 55, if you die at 65, you die at 75, 85, 95, I don't care. If you know Christ, you go into eternal glory, which is an awesome thought. Now, for those that are contemplating Christ that you haven't submit your life to Christ yet, please understand, there is no downside to Jesus. I can't think of a single one. He wants to provide for you. He wants to protect you. All the things that we've talked about today is about his love and his nurture of those that are his children. All it takes is for you to submit yourself completely to Jesus Christ and say, you are my God. I give my life to you. That's the future hope we have. But Peter also says there is a current hope that we have of what God wants to do. He says that he himself will restore, confirm, strengthen, establish you. To him be the dominion forever and ever. Amen. He gives four words here that tells us of the character, the guarantee of character he wants to develop in you and I right now. Number one, he wants to restore us. The word means to adjust to fit together. It's a picture of a torn net that is mended together and made whole again. And you are the net. So the question is, have you been broken in life? Have you been wounded in relationships? Have you been torn apart by cruel words? That will continue to go on, but Jesus Christ will mend you. What a beautiful picture. Number two, he wants to confirm us. The word means to set fast. 
couple years ago, I built a deck on the back of my house. I had to set seven six-by-six poles in cement for that deck to rest upon. I want you to know that deck is so firm you could drive a Mack truck on it. It's not going anywhere. I've had up to 40 people, 50 people on it, and it still did not even budge. This is what God wants to do for you. He wants to set you firm so that when the storms come, you will not move. The third thing he wants to do is strengthen us. He wants to strengthen your inner person because of a relationship you have. When life is going chaotic, we get our calm by coming to Christ and being still before him. And he strengthens our inner man. And finally, he wants to establish you. It's the picture of the house built upon the rock. In Ephesians chapter 4, it says that we are to have, be established in what we believe so that we're not blown here and there by every wind of doctrine. That's what he wants to do for us. Mend, set fast, strengthen, establish. God is building character in all of us. That's what he wants to do but it takes us drawing close to him. So here's the application. Elders, are you in your growing relationship with Christ? Are you nurturing the sheep? Are you serving an audience of one? Church, are you humble? Are you watchful? Are you hopeful in what God wants to do in you? Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I pray that as we close out, I pray that you would help us to evaluate our own life. Are we distant from you? Are we far away? Or are we drawing close to you? Lord, during this song, I pray that we would draw close to you, that our hearts would just desire for you to take us where we are, that you would mend us, that you would set us fast, that you would strengthen us, that you would establish us. But it is going to take action on our part so that we can be credible in our leadership. I pray that in Christ's name. Amen.